Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Henrik Johansson. And Henrik, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to this conversation. This is going to be really insightful for any of us who are looking to or have an idea for a product, something that we have either invented or a better version of the mousetrap or whatever it might be, but a product that we have an idea for, but we don't know necessarily how to go about developing that product and getting it to market. So Henrik is here with us today to share his experiences in this area and how his company, Gemba, helps product developers with that process. Uh, to receive more information about the How of Business, including the show notes page for this episode and how you can continue to support my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. So Henrik, let me tell people a little bit more about you. Henrik Johansson is a serial entrepreneur who founded and built Boundless into a $100 million product company. But he currently, he is the co-founder and CEO of Gemba. And Gemba is a product development platform and marketplace. And uh, he's also the executive producer of Final Product, which is a reality TV show incubated at Gemba. He was previously a co-founder and board member at Outbound Engine. And before that, the president of Everyday Wealth and co-founder and president of Creditland. Johansson specializes in technology-enabled services, marketplaces, and software as a service. He's an expert on scaling startups, building world-class teams, culture, and scalable processes and infrastructure, and has been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, Austin Business Journal, and was named Counselor's 2017 Person of the Year. Henrik lives in Austin, Texas. Once again, Henrik Johansson. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I look forward to our conversation. Absolutely. This is uh, this is one. I have not done a deep dive on this before, so this is going to be enlightening for me as well as everybody who's listening. But I want to get the, the story of your journey first. Uh, as I was doing the research, you started your career, if I've got it right, in, in consulting and management consulting. And then I'm curious as to what led to you starting your first business. Yeah, um, great question. Uh, so... As you said, I, I started management consulting actually all the way back in Sweden, where I grew up. Um, I worked for uh, Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture, and started working for them in first in Stockholm, Sweden, and then I transferred to Dallas, Texas. Uh, that was the first time I came to the U.S. And, and a little later, transferred again with my then uh, fiance wife to be uh, to San Francisco. So I found myself in San Francisco in the mid '90s. And uh, as you may recall, that was the, the dot-com days. Um, so everybody around me was starting companies and you know, San Francisco was the epicenter of the internet revolution. Mm -hmm. It was almost, almost hard not to start a business at that time. Uh, I'd been, you know, as a management consultant, I was traveling almost 100%. Uh, so with a, with a girlfriend to be wife in, in San Francisco and me on the road and you know, wherever I was, Denver or Los Angeles or somewhere, you know, on one hand, I was, I was pretty tired of that life. And then also met super interesting people in San Francisco, starting businesses and 
uh, I met uh, my first co-founder, Tony Wilbert, there in San Francisco, and he had an idea of a business uh, and convinced me to, to come on board. Uh, it didn't take much convincing. Uh, so we started a company called Creditland in 1998, and, uh, and that was the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. Did you always aspire to be your own boss or to be part of uh, your own uh, startup? Actually, I didn't. You know, it was it's interesting that, you know, I grew up in Sweden with parents that were not entrepreneurial at all. Um, not even, you know, much career people. You know, they they worked in, in uh, local government and in and, and schools. Um, so I didn't really have that gene from from my family. I think it when I was on the road a lot, I read a lot. Um, and um, as during my management consulting career, I started, you know, realizing that I I probably did not want this, you know, uh, type of work where you are on the road all the time. You, mm -hmm. you give your time without really getting much in, in return. And I also started feeling a little empty that, you know, even though management consulting was a, a lucrative and, and great career, you never felt like you created something really, right. you know, you went to one client and you helped them with some stuff and then you moved on. There was no sense of ownership. And as I started talking to entrepreneurs, that was, uh, that was clear that, uh, it was attractive. And then I started reading, reading a lot of books and, you know, Tony Robbins and stuff like that. And, uh, the seven habits of, of successful people. Um, and that, you know, led me to believe and start thinking that, yeah, this is probably something I could do. Yeah. Going with a co-founder, having a partner, did that help with that leap of of the unknown? Is that something that that uh, helped you with making that first move? Yeah, absolutely. The, I don't think I would have done it on my own. You know, I, 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 and I think this is one of the biggest obstacles, right, when starting a business, that you're never going to know everything uh, yourself. You know, you're never going to be both a great finance person, an engineer, and a marketer, and a salesperson. So that was one of the, the biggest, uh, I think, uh, mindsets that I had to overcome to realize that, yeah, you don't have to know it all. Nobody knows it all. The way you get there is that you find co-founders, partners, other people to work with that bring that expertise. And together, you you create a team that uh, you know can, can manage all the different aspects of the business. Right, right. And I'm assuming you you did that again here with Gemba. You've co you have a co-founder and he probably compliments or you compliment each other uh in different areas. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, actually two co-founders, Steven and Zach, uh, which both, you know, they bring different sides of you know, Steven, he he uh was funded on Shark Tank. He has run a product company on his own versus you know, Zach is very strong operationally. He worked at Instacart, so he's been part of scaling you know, uh, big marketplaces in the past. And, you know, I bring more of the, you know, experienced founder, gray hair <laughs> connected <laughs> with investors and, you know, have a lot of experience in how to, you know, how to build management team and scale a business. Yeah. Well, how much do you think now, um, or maybe even early on that that experience in management consulting, how much do you think of that? Did you leverage and brought over to running a business? Um, <laughs> Good question. Actually, I don't think that much, to be honest with you. I think it was helpful to to see how, you know, bigger organizations operate. Right. Uh, to understand, you know, how, you know, how how teams are built. Uh, but 
it, it's quite different. You know, at, at Anderson, I worked mostly for, you know, in big organizational transformation projects for Fortune 500 businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very, very different than very running different. a five, mm-hmm. 10 purple startup. Uh, so that was something I had to learn. I, I do believe I've learned a lot. I mean, my, my background is engineering. Uh, I have a master of science, electrical engineering, computer science. So that, that you know, mindset, the problem solving, I think, has been more valuable in, in my entrepreneurial career than, than maybe the management consulting side. But, but certainly you, you learn. I think that's one thing that you, you have to do as an entrepreneur or, or as any career professional. Never, never stop learning, right? You have to realize yeah. that there's always more to learn. That's uh, right. Yeah, no doubt. But you, so being, you've been an entrepreneur for some time, a business owner, what, what would you say are some of the things that it does? Obviously, obviously, early on, as you expressed, part of it was that that need for control that we all have over our time, our schedule. And and I I'd similarly, I was in software sales and traveled throughout most of the 90s and got to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. But other than that, and now, when you look at it now, Henrik, what, what does it do for you to be your own boss? Yeah, I think I talk a lot to, to fellow CEOs, entrepreneurs about this too. It's like, uh, it's a little bit like having a child. I think uh, if you had, if you're, if you're a woman and you, you, you remember how painful it was to do, have the last <laughs> one, I'm not sure you'd ever have another one. <laughs> right. And I think as an entrepreneur, it's, uh, you get into the same spot and wonder, why am I doing this? This is this, it, because it can be so hard, right? It, it, it's very challenging and it's a lot of sleepless nights and, and long hours and a lot of uncertainty and, and fear and doubt. But at the same time, it's in, incredibly rewarding, right? The ability to create something, to create a place where people build their careers uh, and, and to actually create something that can, can have a positive impact on, on your customers and ideally on, on the society as a whole. Uh, it's incredibly rewarding. So it, it's both very, very hard, but then also very, very rewarding. You know, and, and being your own boss is certainly a piece of it. But but I've found that, you know, eventually you 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 know you always have a boss in some way, right? Right. You raise money, and you have investors, and you have a board of directors. So that it doesn't mean that you can just unless you run a like small, you know, solopreneur, your own business, then you can certainly. You know, then your own your own boss, and you can set your own hours. But in some way, that then the customer is your boss, right? There's, right. You're accountable to them. Up. You're accountable to your employees, your team members, your stakeholders. You're accountable to all of these people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I, I I do love the uh, I think it's Jim Collins who said that uh, to be an entrepreneur, you need to have a great tolerance for ambiguity, right? It, it's not necessarily that you need to be risk. Uh, you know, have a great thought for risk because there is actually risk in, in any business. You may be working for IBM. You're just not aware of the risk. But, right. You know, tomorrow you might get fired and they might mm-hmm. you know, shut down your whole department. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about being an entrepreneur that you have always complete visibility into what's going on. Right. I know how much money's in my bank account. I know how much I need to make payroll. I know how many, how much, how many customers I need to bring on board. And, you know, uh, so that. Uh, and and that sometimes can be scary, right? Because you have you have complete visibility and you know exactly what's going on. But I think that as an entrepreneur, you have to you have to enjoy that and not let that stress you out, right? Uh, so I think that you know that that tolerance for ambiguity, I think, is really important. 
Well said. I've never heard it quite expressed that way. And I'm just writing it down as you said it, you know, you, you, as a business owner, we have full visibility and that can be a scary thing, but it can be an empowering yeah. thing, but it, but it, but it also is a great way to highlight what uh, for those people who hang on to the perceived safety of a corporate job, uh, part of it is just because we don't see the risk <laughs> that might be coming our way. And so we're, we're bliss in that ignorance. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think there was eleven thousand people at Facebook to just learn that, right? That's right. That's right. I mean, uh, you 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 may feel completely safe, but but that's that may be a false sense of security. Excellent. All right. So, what leads to Gemba? Because I I don't think it's like necessarily the other businesses that you've been a part of, right? It's certainly different, but it has elements of everything. You know, the the first company I started, Credit Land, was a, a online lending marketplace. So I early in my entrepreneurial career learned to love marketplaces. I think that there's you know, some of the greatest businesses of all times, like you know Uber and Airbnb and uh, you know many others are are built as marketplaces. And I think marketplaces has the potential to to really transform industries and, and sometimes create whole new industries. Right. Um, and by marketplace, we're talking about here in an online world where you bring both sides or multiple sides together and as transparent as possible of marketplace to do business together, right? That's right, right? So like Airbnb, before they existed, you know, you couldn't, it was very, it was difficult to find a, you know, vacation rental in Marbella, Spain, for example, when, you know, you could certainly find someone, but there weren't any rules for how to connect with them and you could get. Uh, and, and there wasn't any place to look for for that globally. So by creating the the Airbnb marketplace, they provide access to all these uh, folks that have apartments or houses to create a new income stream. And then they created this uh, alternative to hotels to the rest of us, and just created a whole new uh, uh, a new business and and uh, access to things that weren't available before. And similarly, Uber, right? They, before. Uber started, they thought that the size of the rideshare market was, you know, some some uh, percentage of the taxi market. Right. And Uber proved that, no, no, it was far, far beyond that. That mm -hmm. they unlocked, you know, uh, inventory, if you will, that didn't exist before and allowed, you know, millions of people to, to drive and make an income through that. And then, you know, many more millions, billions to ride, you know, much easier than, than through taxi. So... And so the marketplace model is something I love. Uh, and then the other piece was when I build Boundless uh, into a $100 million product business, our customers were primarily Fortune 500 companies that created marketing materials, print, and uh, we did started using custom products for them. And through that, I traveled to China, and that opened up my eyes to I see. the whole supply chain side of things. Mm -hmm. And I was struck by how little transparency there is in in the supply chain, right? We over here we think of a factory in China, and and you probably have some mental image of that what that looks like. But what I saw over there was that it can be anything from a you know highly sophisticated, uh, automated robotics uh, enabled uh, factory to something in, in in the suburbs that you know is is in the basement of a of a house right. with children working there. Right? Yeah. They look the same on Alibaba. <laughs> exactly. So people have very little visibility into that, and, and as a result, there's a lot of a lot of product uh, journeys that go wrong. And I saw that firsthand. That there's a lot of small businesses that go under 
because they cannot, they don't know how to go through this, this process of creating a new product. And it's not necessarily that the, the factories in China or elsewhere are bad. It's just that the, the often the, the small mid-sized business that's trying to do this, they don't have, they don't have deep product development expertise. They don't have deep supply chain expertise. And they don't really know the proper process to go through to, do, to successfully develop a new product. And they're trying to communicate with a factory in a different country and, and with, with you know language barriers and all this stuff. So there's no wonder that a lot of those product journeys go wrong. Right. And you know, unfortunately for a small business, a product journey, failed product journey can be fatal. You know, it can be the end of your business. You as a small business, you don't have fifty thousand dollars laying around that you can afford to lose or, you know, receive a container of product that actually don't work the way they were intended to work. Yeah, I just, I can't afford to experiment at that level. I mean, I just, I just can't, it'll kill me yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah. A big business, they can, they can absorb those losses. Right. And, and they also have experts that are working on this. They have whole yeah. teams that are supply chain experts and MBAs and such, but you know, a, a small business is, is very vulnerable when it comes to this. Um, and that's that's why we created Gemba, you know, bringing together these two ideas uh, of helping helping people create new products and making that more accessible to everyone, and then doing that through a marketplace business model, where we could get access to experts and and validated vetted factories that that they can work with, and then our software platform then you know has the know how uh, the knowledge base of how to create pretty much any product. So that the the customer, the SMB, the the creator does not need to know all that. It's been built into the system, so they right. know. All right, this is the next step. Here's what I need to do next. Yeah, you're so guiding me through this process, as opposed to a place like Alibaba. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but there, um, I have to know what I'm doing. All they're yeah. doing is presenting options for me. Here, you're holding my hand through the process to some to some extent, right? Yes, absolutely. And uh, you use the word guide, and that's that's uh, in our internal uh, marketing materials positioning. We we see ourselves as a guide. You know, the the customer ultimately has to climb the mountain, but we're the we're the Sherpa. We're the guide that helps them up the mountain, that shows the different paths, that uh, warns them about you know what what obstacles they might run into to make sure that you know their journey will be a good one. Henry, give, give me an example or give me some, some ideas of the types of products that are being developed. I'm sure it's a broad range, but what are some of the typical products that are being developed using Gemba? Yes, of course. And, and in some ways, it's almost easier to say what we don't do. So sure. We don't do uh, <laughs> potions and lotions for food. We don't do any CPT like, you know, products that go on your body or in your body. Okay. And um, why is that? that re- that's a whole more complicated process? Not necessarily more complicated, but the, there are, of course, FDA yeah, uh, regulations, approvals yeah. and regulations that you have to deal with. And those are different in different countries and we have customers in a lot of different countries. So there's a whole different level of complexity there. And uh, we decided not to focus on that. Understood. Uh, we also haven't done a lot of apparel or fashion, uh, which have a whole different set of challenges. Um, and uh, so where we found our sweet spot is really where there's some complexity to a product where there's either, and, and typically some engineering is required. So there's either moving parts uh, in the product that requires some mechanical engineering or uh, electronics, you know, that requires electrical engineering. Because we found that when a, com- when a product has that, it, it's usually 
too much complexity for the average small business to handle without I having see. expertise. But you know, if you think of that, that's you know probably eighty percent of the products that you you buy on on Amazon or or Target wherever you go uh, from you know sports equipment to kitchen accessories to you know toys to uh, baby products to pet products uh, you know uh, so a, a really wide area of different products um, that we help with yeah. Mm-hmm. And in, in the 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 developers of these products, your your clients on that side of the marketplace are typically someone who might be reselling on Amazon or some kind of an e-commerce brand or business. Is that that's typically who that is? Is that correct? That's right. I mean, really, we're we're agnostic to how they sell it. It doesn't yeah. really matter. To it doesn't us, matter but, to you. Yeah. But, but you're right. The, the bulk of our customers are e-commerce players. Initially, we worked a lot with the Amazon sellers, FBA sellers. Uh, increasingly, now we're working. Well, I'd say increasingly, e-commerce players do sell on multiple platforms. I think a few years ago, there were a lot of companies that were just purely FBA sellers or purely right. selling Shopify. I think we're seeing more and more companies recognize to particularly slightly larger companies realize that they have to sell on multiple platform platforms. Uh, so we. Now we work probably more than 50% are with, uh, let's say, micro brands, D2C, direct consumer brands uh, that, that sell on Shopify. But we're still, we have a ton of, of customers that, that sell on Amazon too. Got it. This is Henry Lopez, briefly pausing this episode to invite you to schedule a free coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business plans and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner myself, I understand the challenges you're experiencing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. Whether it's getting started with your first business or growing and maybe exiting your existing small business, I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching consultation, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Take that next step today towards finally realizing your business ownership dreams. I look forward to speaking with you soon. Okay, let, let's walk through at a high level the, the development life cycle. And you lay this out very nicely on the Gemba website to help people navigate this. But there's, there's four high-level steps uh, in the process, the research, the design, the manufacturing step, and it may not actually be manufacturing, somebody could be white labeling, but the manufacturing step, and then the logistics and possibly compliance step. Those are the four steps at a highest level of the product development life cycle, correct? That's right. Um, and not every customers that not every Gemma customer go through all the steps. Right. Uh, but yeah, we we can help from you know idea like back of a napkin drawing all the way to finished product. But we also have many customers that come to us with an existing product that mm-hmm. they want to change in some way or you know last couple of years a lot of folks that have a product they're making in china and they want to diversify the supply chain and find I a see. factory somewhere else mm-hmm. particularly in the u.s you know because of all the tensions with china and tariffs and right uh, uh, you know and recent challenges with with supply chain uh, i'd say more than 50 percent of our customers are looking to find factories in, in different regions, different locations. Interesting. Interesting. 50%. That tells you how much of that is going on, right? As people 
try to diversify their supply chain. And it could also be, as I mentioned, it could be something that I'm going to white label or private label. Therefore, there's not a lot of research or design necessarily that has to happen first, right? That's right. Uh, that That is a big piece of our business too. And, and I think an area where Gamba can really be helpful because, you know, you, you, like you said, you can go through the whole design effort to design something completely unique, but that's a pretty... Uh, time-consuming and costly process. You know, you're yeah. probably working with a design team for three to six months, depending on the complexity of the product. And that's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars. A lot of customers, like you said, they realize that, well, I, I want a unique product, but it doesn't have to be completely unique. So they instead start with an existing product, uh, let's say an insulated drinking cup, right? A Yeti cup. Uh, and maybe they have some insight that, you know, people want to have glow in the dark cups so they can find them you know next to right. the bed in, in the middle of the night so the only change that they want to make is to change the, the material or some piece mm-hmm. of that cup that makes it glow in the dark and that can be a much shorter journey right so we help them find factories that are making those kind of cups that have those kind of capabilities uh, and then you may just need a few design hours from industrial designer to figure out how to incorporate that new design material into the process and now you can get a unique product, uh, slightly differentiated for a lot lower cost and much faster than you would if you tried to design something from scratch. Yeah. So we call that, we label that as D2M direct manufacturing. And, and particularly since the economy changed, we see a lot of interest in that. It's, it's a really good way to go about it. What was the first term you used? I didn't quite catch that. D2M. So D2M. direct to manufacturing. Uh, so that rather, you know, trying to explain that instead of going through starting from scratch and developing a product instead start start with what's currently possible right? right start with what what you can what can be made today for an affordable cost uh, without um, you know because sometimes you develop brand new things and we see this all the time somebody's worked with a designer here in the US and they have these beautiful images and drawings and once they go to the factory they they get feedback from the factories like well that's going to cost you $100,000 <laughs> or molds to make and right. it just blows their budget up. So in many ways, I think it's, unless you have some very specific, unique concept that, you know, of a, a new product that the, the world hasn't seen yet, I think it's really wise to start with what's currently possible. How can I tweak that and change that? Yeah. And as quickly as possible, talking to the factory that actually knows what can be changed, what can be altered. And that way, you know, create incremental innovation instead of brand new innovation, right? Yeah, it's, it's the better mousetrap approach as opposed to the completely new mousetrap. Uh, but but also, I think you speak to something that I see often for us as entrepreneurs, especially if we're first time, is we tend to hide behind the analysis, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also, what we don't we don't have we don't know how to go talk to a manufacturer without we think that's what we have to do. We have to go get these complex designs first, and then they'll, they'll talk to us, right? Mm-hmm. So those are misunderstandings and misconceptions, or really things that this marketplace helps to address, right? Yeah, that's right. And and, and it's interesting that we, going back to the what we just talked about, China versus the rest of the world. One thing that's amazing about China, right, is that they, over the last several decades, have become uh, a finely tuned, you know, manufacturing machine. And mm-hmm. most of the factories in China have product catalogs, like you can see on Alibaba or their websites. Right. Uh, they have English-speaking staff. Uh, they respond to emails and requests for quotes. Uh, 
The rest of the world is not built like that, right? And that's something that uh, a lot of entrepreneurs are finding out the hard way now. They, you know, they try to go to, to Mexico, Colombia, or India I see, I see. and speak to factories like they do in China. They're just not set up where it's like, I mean, some are, but the 95% of the factories in the rest of the world are, are not set up like that. Because most of those other markets uh, are used to working with larger organizations. Is that part of it? That's part of it. And and also mostly uh, historically, at least, used to working with internal customers in, the, in India. In, so in, in country, yeah. Yep. Yeah, in country and, and typically higher order quantities. So right. when a small business owner in the U.S. comes and they want to make a thousand of those, you know, glow in the dark cups. Yeah. Yeah, odds are factories out of China are not going to be terribly interested. It's just not enough business for them. Uh, also, factories out of China tend to have uh, have more restrictions around what kind of materials they are willing to work with. Uh, versus in China, you can go to them and say, I want to, I want to create this glow-in-the-dark cup. And they'll figure out how to find the materials. And you know, they, they say yes to almost anything because they're that's how, how they've been you know, conditioned and, and uh, how they've structured their organizations to service Western customers. And the rest of the world is you know, a good 20 years behind them on that. Yeah. So I think you're going to just continue to see the shift, but, but for the foreseeable future, there is no Alibaba for the rest of the world. And I think that's where, uh, that's where a company can Gemba, like Gemba can really help to help creators, yeah. entrepreneurs to navigate uh, these, you know, increasingly complex uh, uh, supply chains. Because you're facilitating bringing on those manufacturers outside of China and helping them with this process and how to interact with the smaller business owner client. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, if, if, a, if a creator or entrepreneur comes to us and say, I want to create this, you know, um, uh, electronic device and I want to source it in, in India or Mexico, we pretty much tell them up front, it's like, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, yeah. you are not going to be able to do that. Uh, so we, we help advise them in the right direction. However, if they say, yeah, I want to create this, um, you know, backpack. Uh, made in sustainable materials uh, and sell it to, you know, outdoors enthusiasts. Absolutely. That we can do. Uh, and and probably, you know, Colombia, South America is a great place to go because they have uh, a lot of sustainable materials. That That's kind of the focus of, of everything they do. And, uh, and if you have some flexibility on the type of materials you want to look at, then, you know, that's great. Because most, like let's say in Colombia, for example, the, the most factors there, they, they will only work with the materials that they make themselves. Interesting, you know. Versus in China, they you know, they'll go and find they'll get it from wherever the, the raw materials <laughs> or you know the components, whatever, from somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, so the, there's there's nuance and complexity, and um, uh, and that's where I think you know, Gemba can be a, a great guide. Uh, and is that something, Henrik, that's happening at the at the research step uh, of the life cycle? Is that is that where that happens? To us, research more often means uh, market research, customer okay. research. Okay. So customers come to us and say, hey, I have this, you know, let's go back to this idea of a, uh, a glow in the dark cup, but they don't know if anybody's gonna buy it. You know, sometimes they come to us with the research done, sometimes they come without it. And generally we, you know, we recommend, we, we don't, you know, we can't force anybody, but that if, if somebody hasn't done the research, we recommend that they, they do the research to see and there's a lot of data available now, right? That you can search and see 
what are consumers searching for today? Uh, you can look at what are the ratings and the reviews for existing products that are in your category. So there's a lot of data you can pull out of it. And, and you can also review, look at ratings and reviews, for example. You know, what, what are current customers not happy with uh, about current products that are in the market? Uh, what are they happy with? Yeah. To make sure that you you actually are creating a product that uh, that there's likely going to be significant demand for. So you're not and you're, you're facilitating or helping me with that research uh, in part through the data and the the experts that you have, the expert consultants. Is that how you're facilitating that? That's right. So yeah, we 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 do operate as a marketplace. So we will connect you with a research expert in your in your area, and they have access to tools that can help you do that research. Uh, in a very affordable way. Right. And I want, I want to get an idea of cost here. When I was doing the search or, or, or uh, doing the research on the website, I saw that the consultants have, you post their hourly rate so I can kind of mm -hmm. judge what it's going to cost me. But starting to talk about that, do I have to commit to Gemba for the entire process or can I commit just to do the research and then I might decide it's a no-go? Is that is that part of the process or an option for me? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, everything is, is what we call milestone-based, right? Uh, again, using the analogy of the of the guide. So if, if someone comes in and, and like you said, they want to do the research and the research comes back and said, there's no interest in that product, right? Right, they, right. Dead end on this idea. Dead end. Or it's like, yeah, you're going up against Nike and Under Armour. Right. You know, you're, you're going to be competing with these guys that have billion-dollar marketing budgets. So it happens uh, uh, that people come to the conclusion like, okay, this is not a good product idea. But in, in our eyes, that's that's actually a win because you just save that, that person, that company, uh, a lot of money going after and creating a product that probably wasn't going to be successful. So mm -hmm. some, some projects end there, and I think that that can be a successful outcome. Um, and, and a research project is usually, you know, I'd say a few thousand dollars. Okay. I'd say on average, maybe $5,000, okay. um, depending on, you know, how deep people want to go. Design That's projects uh, can vary, you know, anyway from maybe $10,000 to, to, you know, $100,000 or more for, for really complex products. Uh, but I'd say our average design project is about twenty thousand, um, and then when you get into manufacturing, that that's usually just structured as a as a, a small percentage of the purchase order, I and see. then you know how big the purchase order depends on you know the, typically people order minimum order quantities, uh, uh, and that that can vary a lot. But I think people should should have at least twenty thousand dollars or so for you know to go through that. So mm -hmm. that's also something we we have learned the hard way that we, we, we want to make sure that we educate uh, people on the front end of the actual costs. You know, right. this is not inexpensive. You, you probably need to have at least $30,000 to, you know, go through and create, create a new product like this. Um, and, and, and if you don't, then there are other options. Of course, you can, like you said, you can just uh, white label something or you can buy, you know, things here domestically and, 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 and resell them. Uh, but you know, it, it, it's, it, it takes some time, there's some cost to it, but then also you come out of it having your own product that you could potentially turn into a multi-million dollar you know, revenue business. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for being transparent there. Because I think, like you said, it's so critical. I find so many people have, they have no idea as to what this is going to cost. 
Uh, but when you add that reality, then it could be, okay, maybe this isn't as great of an idea, or I've got to wait until I have the resources lined up to mm -hmm. take that next step, right? And it's also why you point to that DTM approach as opposed to developing something completely new. Maybe my first step is to white label or to slightly modify an existing product, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that that's that's part of what we do in the sales process. I mean, we, we learned the hard way that initially we had several customers that came to us and got started. And then halfway through the journey, they realized they don't have enough money to, to complete it. And that's the last thing we want to see, right? For right. someone to use their savings to create a great product design, but then they don't have money to place the purchase order, right? That's, that's just a waste. So yeah, it's uh, not good for you. It's not good for, it's not good for anybody, right? No, no. But we see quite a few people now that come to us, they do the research and then take the research and go raise money. Right? I see. They, they I may see. take the research and go, you know, raise money from individual investors right. or family right. or the bank to say, look, I got this idea and it's not just an idea. We've done the research. We think there's a great market here. And then that's the way they raise money for the rest of the product journey. Absolutely. And talk about a, a much more reputable or um, yeah, can't, a much more believable product. Uh, pitch deck when you can show that you've done the research with the help of a third party. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Where, if I have an idea for a product, then what's your recommendation when people ask you as to where they should start? Yeah. I mean, selfishly, I would ask them to go to Gemba.com and <laughs> fill out a form. Uh, we, we try to make it as easy as possible. Uh, ask you a few questions about uh, what, what, you know, what field, what kind of product are you trying to create? Are you trying to create a brand new product or, or like we said, a white label or private label uh, and in what category? And if you have any specific, uh, you know, desires around what region, where it's manufactured. And then that, that we run that through our engine to see if that's, uh, you know, if we are positioned to do that. Like I said, there's certain product categories that we don't really dabble in and we'll get back to you with a question, with an answer very quickly. And, and uh, typically, set up a time to talk to one of our account executives to learn some more. And then we can very quickly give, give uh, uh, the customer a quote to say, Hey, this is what we recommend. This is how much it would cost uh, to get started. And uh, then the customer can make a decision based on that. And, and we don't charge any money to I was gonna say getting to that step doesn't cost me anything except for time. No. It doesn't cost me anything to submit that application and then have that initial conversation. Exactly. Another question I always get or topic that always comes up is people being fearful that somebody will steal their idea. So since mm -hmm. you've been in this industry and you understand this and how this works, but my, my thought is always that you kind of have to let go of that uh, a bit because it is what it is and ideas need to breathe to, to really come to life. But, but what's your thought on when people say, Oh, I got to be very careful with this and I don't want anybody to steal my idea. Yeah. I, um, I hear it all the time too, and I I, I agree with you. I'd say in, in most cases, people are are they're over indexing on this. They're they're too fearful for that of that. I think unless you have something truly revolutionary, or right. Something that that's very innovative, and and the idea in itself, it's like wow. Uh, if anybody found out about this, they'd go make it. But but to, I think to your point. Uh, most people aren't sitting around just waiting to, you know, steal other people's ideas. They're, they're busy, you know, pursuing their own. Um, 
we, we do everything we can to help protect that though. So immediately sure. we, we always sign an NDA with a, a non-disclosure agreement with, with the creator for every factory that is part of our network uh, that you know will will get exposed to the IP. We sign what's called a triple N. It's a, a non-disclosure agreement that uh, is valid in China and other places. So, and we have legal entities in the markets where we operate, so that we have an entity in China, so that if anything happened, we would actually have some ability to pursue that. And, I see. Uh, so. I think that our customers are in a much better situation than if you just randomly yeah, send yeah. your specs to anybody on Alibaba. Um, right. But I do think, you know, it, it's prudent to be be careful about it. I, I wouldn't blast it anywhere, um, but but only share the information with people that, that need to know. Yeah. But that said, like you said, if you're not sharing it with anyone, odds are you're never going to go anywhere with it either. So the, Good the, point. you have to take a little bit of risk. Yeah. So that balance, striking that balance and being careful, but also you got to share it with the right people. Okay. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for your thoughts on that. All right. Is there anything that we have not touched on about Gemba and, and what you offer that you want to share? Yeah. I, th- I mean, I just start, I think it's, uh, we feel blessed, you know, that we're here on, on the verge of Thanksgiving and and I'm just grateful to, to uh, be in, in a business where we can help entrepreneurs, creators to, to realize their dreams. Uh, it, it is you know, so rewarding. Uh, I used to work in my last company selling to procurement departments in Fortune 500 companies. And, you know, it was, uh, while we built a great business, it, was, it wasn't super exciting. Right. Uh, but now we're working with, with people that have, that have dreams, that want to create new things that will benefit them, their family, and and you know, ideally, they're their customers, uh, and that's why why we're so excited about what we're doing. Uh, this is this is mission critical for our customers, and if they're successful in this journey, it, it could have a huge difference on their life, right? That, right. Uh, their ability to not have a boss, to be their own, build their own business, to support their family. Uh, so we we don't take that lightly. Where uh, we feel we feel blessed that we we can be in that situation, and and we. We realize that that's a huge responsibility. So we work very hard to to try to take care of our customers and make sure that their product journeys are successful. Uh, and we see it, see it every day the the joy and and when it when it works. It's it's not easy. Uh, we can't guarantee successful outcomes, but we we know we can significantly increase the likelihood of a successful outcome. Uh, uh, so yeah, we're, yeah, no, we're it's it's. Uh, well said, and it's it's impactful what you're doing. And when you go back to what you shared about why initially you left the management consulting back then, you were doing something that you that wasn't very tangible. And here you can see the tangible effect and impact that you're having on people realizing their dreams of developing a product. Mm-hmm. What does the word Gemba mean? It it means uh, where value is created, or the place where value is created. It's it's Japanese. And it's, it's Japanese. Okay. In, I tried to look it up, but I couldn't find anything that came up for it. So it's a Japanese word. Yeah. It's, it's you know, you may be familiar with Kaizen manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toyota uh, became famous for it because yep. they had this very structured way of developing their cars that, you know, basically kicked all the American manufacturing, uh, US, uh, car manufacturing companies' butts. Um, mm-hmm. And Gemba, Gemba is a term within that. It's, it's usually used as a Gemba walk where senior management 
goes down on the factory floor and actually observes where value is created, where a part or a piece of the car is created. And they stand there literally in a circle and watch it. And that's, uh, uh, that's, you know, part of what we do in a way, you know, we, we, we are the Gemba, we are in the factories where these products are created, making sure that they're, they're done right. And, uh, it's one of our core values to be the Gemba, uh, meaning that we, we want to be value creators. We want to, we want to add value to our customers and do that by, by connecting with the right resources of being that place where, where, where things are created. Great stuff. Thank you. Uh, book recommendation. I'm always looking for a book. And um, I think you mentioned the author earlier that I believe is the book you're going to recommend. Yeah. I, I mentioned Jim Collins. Uh, he's written many books. My favorite is good to great. It's uh, you know, there's a lot of management books out there, but he's taken a very scientific approach to identifying why certain companies go from being good companies to great companies and identify the seven principles uh, that you can apply to, to your company. And we actually do at Gemba. Uh, one of my favorite pieces of it is, is developing your own, your own hedgehog principle, which is basically what is it that your organization is uniquely positioned to be the best in the world at. And uh, I think it brings a lot of clarity uh, and, and focus to your organization on, on what you should be, what you should be doing. Uh, and I think that's one of the hardest things in the startup, right? To agreed. There's a lot of things you can do. Uh, how do you identify what the really thing that you should be focused on, where right. you can be? The best? What's most important? Yeah, I mean, this is a book that's been around for a while, so I think it. Everybody's always looking for the next exciting book, but yet it's one of the most recommended books whenever I've asked that question of all of my guests because it's yeah. uh, it still holds true. It still is just as applicable as it was was when Jim wrote it, however many years ago it was. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What's one thing, Henrik, that you want us to take away from this conversation we had about product development and the process of developing a, a product idea? What's one thing you want us to take away? You can do it. I think that's that, that there's so many great ideas that are just sitting out there, right? And and I've made it a habit lately whenever I'm in an Uber uh, or Lyft to ask, you know, to tell the driver what I'm doing. And it's not uncommon at all that they say, oh, I have this idea, or let me tell you about it. <laughs> or they have a friend that had an idea, right? Uh, so I think that um, there's a lot of people out there that have great ideas and don't know how to how to bring them to market, right? They don't know how to get started. Um, and I think I encourage people to do it. It's it's an incredible, incredible journey. I think that, you know, the 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 great resignation, the 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 trend towards people not wanting to go and work in an office is is very real. And I think uh, building a product business is is a great way for you to become your own boss. So if you have an idea, I'd say, don't just sit on it. Uh, at least go explore it, learn some more, figure out if it's if it's actually viable. Because it could be it could be your path to becoming an entrepreneur and, and your own boss and and uh, building a bright future for your for yourself, for your business, and your family. I think that there's no better time than than there is today to be able to do this. And your platform is it makes it even better. So so there's we're now able to go and at least explore it, as you said. And so that's the second part mm -hmm. there that you're saying. Because what I find is a lot of people talk, 
but don't actually take that step, which is where the work begins. But platforms like yours and the internet and the connectivity that exists now allow us, all of us individually, without a lot of resources, to at least take that first step to explore it, right? That's right. And and we often talk about this, that, you know, the platforms like Amazon and Shopify have basically eliminated the barriers to entry to create or to sell things online, right? Yeah. It used to be, go back 10 years, it was, it's kind of hard. You, know? yes. you had to go through a lot of hoops. You, you might have to build your own shopping cart and your own store, and then you had to figure out how to market it. And, you know, in, in many ways, Shopify and, and, and Amazon and the ecosystems built up around them makes it pretty darn easy to get something going. What, what, what people haven't lowered the barriers to entry to is, is to create new products. You know, it's Alibaba makes it pretty easy to buy what already exists, but we see increasingly that that's not a viable path to building a successful business. If you're just selling what everybody else is already selling, that, that's not going to turn into a great outcome. It's just basically a, a, a race to the bottom on pricing. That's right. But if you go and create your, a new thing, a different thing, then then you have the potential to build a great business and you know either you know generate positive cash flow from that or or one day selling it. There's a lot of folks out there buying Amazon businesses now and e-commerce brands. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I encourage people to, to pursue that at least take the step to see if it's a it's a viable business and. And if it is, then, you know, take the leap. <laughs> I did it 20 plus years ago and I've, I've never looked back. Yeah, well said. Agreed. Uh, tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more. Yeah, please go to gemba.com. That's G-E-M-B-A-H. So G-E-M-B-A-H.com. And there's a lot of content there. You can, you know, can browse the site and watch videos and learn more about the, the product development and manufacturing process. You can, you can read case studies and see how other uh, folks like you have been successful in building their own businesses. And, uh, and if you're interested, you know, fill out a short form and talk to one of our experts and, and uh, see if we can help you. There's no cost to, to explore that. Perfect. And Rick, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today and sharing all of this knowledge and insights and sharing with us the, the Gemba platform. Uh, as we chatted before we started recording, you're battling a bit of a head cold. So thanks for, for fighting through that. Your voice was great. Uh, thanks for being Thank with you. me today. Oh, my pleasure, Henry. Was, uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, this is Henry Lopez. And and thanks for joining uh, me and Henrik on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Henrik Johansson. Where I release new episodes every Monday morning. And you can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. And also at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.